Today I'd like to talk about applying of perception or what the text call development of perception. There are a few perceptions that the uh, text encourages to develop, but today I'm going to talk about just three of them. Now one of them you're already familiar with, or at least I've mentioned them before, that is the perception of anatta, not self. Sialotejaniya would rather not use that. So that's why he says, uh, take it as natural phenomena, but he's referring to the same thing. When I was there, he didn't want to use it because of how people might perceive it, because of how it's translated. Often, anatta is translated as non-self. And what in the world does that mean? Non-self. Dhammatani Sarab prefer to translate it as not-self, which at first seemed odd to me because I've been so used to non-self, non-self, non-self until when I saw his translation of not-self, I was wondering, uh, something wrong, because Venerotani Saro is also somebody who is known for having unusual translations. Translations are very different from what people normally familiar with. So when I saw not-self, I thought very strange. But as I look at it further and I look at the Pali word and I came to see that, hmm, actually it makes sense. I mean, also looking at the meaning itself in terms of practice. When we use the word non-self, what people can misperceive is that people normally understand to mean uh, no me, no I, you know, I don't exist and all that. Which the Buddha didn't say. The Buddha didn't say you don't exist. When he said not self, he just said this is not you. The body is not self. The form is not self. Feeling is not self. Perception is not self. Then mental formations, or some would translate as volitional formation, is not self. And vijnana, often translated as consciousness, that is not self. So the eye is not self. The seeing is not self. These things. To say that there is no eye is also taking another position. So, like for example, when the Buddha, when people ask, what happens to the Tathagata when he passes on? Does he exist? Say, no, he doesn't say that then. Many say, when he attains Nibbana, does he exist? Say, no. And the Buddha doesn't say that way. Does he not exist? And his disciples say, no, he didn't put it that way as well. Then, would he exist and not exist? No, he doesn't put it that way as well, not like that. He doesn't declare so. Then does he neither exist nor not exist? That is the furthest you can go already (laughs) in this Buddhist or Indian logic. And the answer is no. So people get very confused. (laughs) What in the world is this person talking about? What is he saying? In one occasion it happened to uh, Verma Anuruddha having a conversation with a renunciant who is not of the Buddhist tradition. And that person said, how long have you become a monk? Ah? Well, not long, about a year or so. I think you don't know much. <laughs> Something like that. But actually, at the time, Verma Anuruddha was very highly attained. So he went back to the Buddha and told him the story. And the Buddha said, well, how can he understand? So, and he asked him a few things. Now, at present, do you take the body as you? As self? He said, no. Then about these feelings and all that? So, well, now also you have difficulty, you know, getting this idea of whether there's an I or no I. What to speak of after this? So either you say that there is a self or there is no self. It's kind of taking a position. 
And when people think of there's no I, people get scared. Huh? I'm going to practice meditation until the end. I realize that I don't exist. What for? <laughs> I rather exist. <laughs> so it is not a helpful translation. But if you take that, this is not me. It's a different thing. And we are quite willing to take unhappy things to be not me. Unhappy feelings, you know, anything that the mind regards no good. We are happy to take it as not me. However, what about things that we enjoy? What about things that we like? Like some people, they enjoy thinking. They like to think and think and think and think. Some people, they enjoy eating. So they eat, eat, eat. Some people enjoy sex. Though they have more and more and more. And one of the things that the Buddha said about, let's say there are three things that can be no satisfaction. One is sex, one is sleep, and one is taking alcohol. No end one. So, in these situations, people are less willing to take it as not me. Because they enjoy it, right? Why take it as not me? If you take it as not me, then no enjoyment already. So, there are other perceptions that the Buddha instructs the monk to develop. So, there's also the perception of suffering, of dukkha. Now, if you're already suffering, there's no need to apply the perception of dukkha. It's already very obvious. yeah. But it is something that the mind clings on to. It's obsessed with. doesn't want to let go. Grasp on it. Sometimes, not necessarily physically, uh, but mentally. The mind holds on it, do it so tightly. At times you feel that it's enjoyable. But at times you feel like, wow, this is just draining your energy, taking up all your time, taking up all your energy. And eventually you get to see that, wow, this is suffering. But in the beginning, while you're having pleasant feelings, you normally don't say it that way. But past experiences can tell you that actually this is dukkha. When the mind clings on anything, it is dukkha. So if you find these things happening, then you want to apply this idea of this is dukkha. And you need to actually see it, not just reminding yourself. Do you see the dukkha in the grasping itself? Do you see how it is tiring? Do you see how it is not a happy thing? It may give you pleasant feelings, but pleasant feelings can be very tiring if you want more and more and more of it because it is exciting. One time someone asked Venbo Sariputta, what is Nibbana? Is it pleasant feeling? I say, no, that's not it. I say, is it, oh, then is it unpleasant feeling? I say, no, that's not it either. Then is it neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, meaning neutral feeling, adukha, masukha, vedana. I say, no, that's not it either. Then no feeling, la. what's so great about nibbana? Right? Then Venomasariputta's answer was, it's precisely because there's no feeling that it is blissful or wonderful. I don't remember the exact words. If we look into feelings clearly, we see that all feelings are not peaceful. They're not peaceful. They just go on and on and on and on and on. Whether it is what we call Sukha Vedana, a happy feeling, or Dukkha Vedana, unhappy feeling, or even a neutral feeling, it is not peaceful precisely because it is a feeling. So therefore, it is said that all feelings are also Dukkha. 
even the pleasant feelings and even the neutral feelings. So, when we still don't have the full wisdom to see things that way, the vipassana, the clear thing, we borrow the Buddha's wisdom. He borrows his wisdom and he tells us that things are like that. And we apply that perception. Because if we don't apply this perception, as I mentioned before, like for example, when something happens, the mind would lodge onto it, it would take it as self. But if you don't, immediately the mind does that. It's so used to that. So like, in the same way, if it is something that is produces pleasant feelings, then we need to apply the perception of dukkha. If you don't see the dukkha, why let go? Why give up? Or fall? Even if you later realize that this is dukkha, but at that time, all the mind sees is just pleasant feeling because the greed is there, the loba is there. And loba will always put weight on the pleasantness. It doesn't see the other side. So we need to apply this perception in order to help the mind to loosen the grip. Otherwise it just holds and it's once more and more, it's just creating, creating again and again and again and it won't stop. So that's what we call an obsession. So in the extreme form, people really go crazy because the mind is so occupied in 24 hours, daytime, grasping, sleep, dreaming, also grasping. So this is how we can use this perception of dukkha. But either it's something that is pleasant or unpleasant, desirable or not desirable, we can apply the perception of anicca, of impermanence. When there is a lot of dukkha and we can remind ourselves, hey, this also will pass, it feels a bit better, right? Yeah, this also will pass. When we remind ourselves that, then the grip is loosened. And if it's something that is pleasant, not something we like a lot, we remind ourselves, this is also impermanent, it will pass, then also we would be willing to loosen the grip. So the perception of impermanence, you know, from how I see it, can apply for both. Whereas the perception of dukkha can apply for the things that we are attached to, we love, we want more of. Then the perception of not-self actually can apply to both as well. So this is how we can apply perceptions, it's a wise perceptions. It is not commonly taught these days. Like in the past, when I practice, we are taught, don't think, don't think, just watch, just not, 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 not. And perhaps it makes sense to some people because they have already learned so much, they already maybe even memorize, you know, repeat again and again, and things are impermanent, suffering and not self. So they don't have to think about it because it's so much embedded in the mind already. When they watch, they already watch it in that way. But if we don't have that yet, then we need to bring it in. Again and again and again. When we use these perceptions, we also use it wisely. We don't keep on banging things into it. It's not meant to be used with a wrong attitude. Okay, like for example, there was this lady, my teacher said, when she was having a lot of unhappy feelings going on, so she remembered, oh, applied the perception of that this is just nature. So which is, in other words, not self. Lah. Taking it, this is not a personal phenomena. It's impersonal. 
So she applied that. She looked at it as just a natural phenomena, and it passes off, and she was happy. The next time it happened again, ah, she remembered this technique. So she tried to remind herself, that's nature. But this time it didn't work. Why? Why? Why this time didn't work? Why first time work? Expectation is one thing. You're already doing it in order to get rid of it. Because last time it went away. So this time, you know, you're expecting it to go away. So the application of it is not pure. <laughs> it has wrong attitude there. We are just applying this perception in order to see it in that angle, to have that angle of looking at things. Whether or not this goes away is not your business. This is an important point. You know, we are just applying these wise perceptions. We are not trying to get rid of something. We are not trying to push something away. We are just putting it there. That's all. Some people will tell me, but I don't see it that way. Yeah, of course you don't. Right? But you use this perception, you apply it again and again. In the beginning, it's not true to you. It's not the truth yet to you. But as you continue to apply and you continue to see and see, eventually you realize that actually it is true. But you have to start from somewhere. When you see that it's true, that's wisdom. And to gain wisdom, you need to invest wisdom. That's what my teacher would say. You want to do business? You want to earn a lot of money? You get a lot of money? You need to invest something. You can't start a business with nothing. <laughs> you have to have something to start off with. So you need to invest something. So if you want wisdom, you need to invest wisdom. And since some people say, but I don't have any wisdom, or okay, <laughs> understand. So we borrow lah. Right. Borrowing this one, no need to return one. <laughs> you borrow and you use. Just borrow from the Buddha. So it's Anicca Dukkanata, you borrow that wisdom and you apply. In my experience of applying these perceptions is that the mind will become freer and freer. Eventually when the mind gets to see the truth of these things, you just notice, hey, it feels free. It feels free. Like some of you have described to me, you know, when you feel that freedom, that sense of freeness, it's like in the past you feel like you're imprisoned. Then you're outside of this prison. But don't be too happy, you can get back to that prison. Right? <laughs> so you have to keep on practicing. You know, some people start to practice and then find that, wow, it's moving smoothly. It's like you manage to get on the bicycle and you're pedaling it just nice. But sometimes some things happen, the defilements knock you down and you're off the bike. So what to do? Get up again and pedal. So that's all I have to say for today. Is there any question? In relation to the anatta, can you explain the sakaya, ditti, and the conceit in the ten factors? Okay, alright, just to give others some background information, otherwise they'll be wondering what we're talking about. In the progression of Buddhist practice, we talk of the ten samyojana. As we progress, we drop off certain things. Like for example, in the first stage, one of the things that was dropped off is sakaya ditti. Sakaya ditti 
And what does that mean? Diti means view, and normally is translated as Sakaya is translated personality, personality view. And I would think that would be just nicely translated as the English word ego. The belief in such a thing. What is an ego? An ego is simply taking something to be me. The belief that this is me. When we identify with the body and say this body is me, then there is an ego. So ego is a construct, it is an idea. So if you identify with your thoughts, then an ego is produced. If you identify with the feelings, then there is an ego. Or you identify with a mixture of all these things. So that's how I understand Sakaya Diti. When a person who is freed from Sakaya Diti doesn't mean that he has no greed or anger. He still has that. And greed, anger, these two things are reduced when you attain the second stage that is Sakadagami. Only reduced, you know, not yet gone. And they are already gone at the third stage. No greed, no anger. But even then, there is still what they call the eye conceit. One time there was a group of monks who came to a monk who has understood that this is not me, this is not me, this is not me, all those stuff. So he has dropped the Sakaya Diti, the personality view. And then they thought, oh, then you must be an Arahana. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. Say, although he doesn't see this, 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 this is as, as who he is, but the sense of a me still lingers on, still there. The sense of an I there, still there. That is the thing that is given up upon the attainment of Arahanship. So it's a different thing, whereas the Sakaya Diti is grosser. That one is more subtle. Okay, if there are no more questions, then I'll see you later.